Mark 10, 13, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And they, he took them in his arms and he began blessing them, laying his hands upon them. Well, I always tell people who doubt the Christian message or who say they would love to believe, but they just can't seem to bring themselves to faith because they have way too many questions, big questions, important questions. I say spend some time looking at Jesus. Spend some time looking at Jesus as He is revealed and set forth in the Word of God. And by the way, that's essential and critical uh, to faith because faith never has come from someone looking inside themselves. Faith has never come from someone looking at themselves or, or gnawing on their questions. Faith doesn't come introspectively. Faith comes by looking outside of us and particularly outside of us to the Lord Jesus Christ and the revelation of Himself in the Word of God. And one of the reasons why that is so is because when you turn to the picture of Jesus presented in Scripture, it is altogether lovely, captivating, and lively. And that's illustrated for us, by the way, in our text. As you look upon our text in just its few short verses, what you see is a picture of Christ which just comes to life before your eyes. You see Jesus speaking and rebuking. You see Jesus analyzing. You see Jesus showing emotion as he boils over with rage, with indignant at uh, the actions of the disciples. You see Jesus sweeping up little babies and coddling them in his arms and, and laying his hands upon them and blessing them. You see Jesus teaching vividly and clearly and illustratively about the nature of salvation. And so uh, the principle stands that if you want to seek to, to cultivate faith, uh, don't look inside, look out, look to Christ. Look to Jesus Christ as He is set forth in the Word. Because Scripture is God the Father's testimony to His Son. And the testimony particularly that I have you think about here in our text this morning is bound up in the actions and the word of Jesus Christ as he sets forth gospel hope for children. He sets forth gospel hope for children as he says here in verse 14, of such is the kingdom of God. Of such is the kingdom of God. And I want us to be very clear this morning when I stretch out and set forth before you the theme of gospel hope for children, we need to be aware of the fact that Jesus is using children in two ways here. One is a literal way and one is a symbolic way. And the literal way is quite obvious to us because we can see in our text that, that little babies are being brought to Christ for blessing, for, for His touch. 
But then when you come into verse 15, it's quite evident that Jesus drops this uh, literal sense and begins to develop the symbolic sense of children. As he says in verse 15 now, that he says that uh, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he receives it as a child. And we'll have to think about what that means this morning, but it's very clear that Jesus is not saying, as Nicodemus mistook him to say, that somehow he would have to go back into the womb of his mother to be reborn again to see the kingdom of God. It's a message about grace. And so this double sense of the word child here in our, smart, in our text this morning leads to, to the central idea of our text, which is spiritual mercies for children. Spiritual mercies for children. It's basically this. Jesus is proclaiming gospel hope. He says, for whoever will come to him as a child, he stands ready to swing the gates of eternal life wide open to them for their entry. So let's take uh, apart this spiritual uh, mercies for children idea and break it into two parts. So Jesus teaching about the children of believers and Jesus teaching about salvation. And so first of all, we see Jesus teaching uh, about the children of believers. And the first thing we want to see here is that children of believers must be brought to Christ for spiritual blessing. Children of believers must be brought to Christ for spiritual blessing. And I, I want to develop that, first of all, by thinking about the prohibition here in our text. And it's quite forceful in verse 14, where Jesus says to his disciples, do not hinder. Do not Hinder. It is an imperative, which means it's a command. It means do not restrain, do not prevent. And it is a present tense verb, which means it has ongoing force. The commandment then doesn't have an expiration date. The commandment didn't end uh, on that day when the fathers stopped bringing their children to Christ. The power of the command is absolute and enduring. Jesus is saying to the believer that they must bring their children to him. They're not to prevent it, nor is anyone else. But you see, Jesus isn't just barking out an, an admonition or a command here. He's responding to a problem. And it's, it's beautifully set up here in verse 14, where you read, when he saw this. See that? When he saw this, we're told... That he was indignant. In other words, he is looking upon a situation, and we'll get into that in a moment. And he uh, not only sees it, but he interprets it, and he analyzes it, and he grasps the force of its significance. And as he lays hold of the significance and the implications of the actions, the Word of God says something unusual here. Jesus became indignant. You know... That word just means visceral, raw anger. That's why I said, be careful. Look at Christ in the Word of God. What you get is a three-dimensional image, not a static stick figure kind of holy man or something like that. When you look at the Christ of Scripture, God's testimony to His Son, what you find is, is an image that is alive. And here Christ boils over with rage based upon what he saw. And the reason is located 
in verse 13. Here we see the problem. They were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked. It's a picture being sketched in. And the, the picture being sketched in here by, by Mark is, is such that it, it seems like you have a throng of people lined up with babies. And, and Jesus is located perhaps inside of a house. Perhaps he's located a, on a hillside. We're not told. It doesn't matter. It's not particularly relevant to where he is. But the fact is he is there. And you have all of these people with their children seeking to bring them to Christ and the disciples of all people are rebuking them. They're cutting them off. They are intercepting these people with their babies. And by the way, I keep using the word babies because that's what's in view. I, I know your text is interpreted children, but, but Luke's account of this uh, identifies the children more specifically as babies. It would be the same term uh, that is used in, in Luke chapter 1 when we're told that uh, when the Virgin Mary came to the door and greeted her cousin Elizabeth, that her baby leapt within her womb. It is the same word that's used in Luke 2 where the angels are instructing the shepherd about a baby who is born, who is Christ the Lord. So these are babies. It makes perfect sense with the details of our text. They're carrying them, aren't they? Why in the world would you carry a 12-year-old? You probably can't. And it's also reinforced by Jesus' own action. We're told that he picked them up and he cradled them in his arms. That's fairly difficult to do with a large child. But you see here, the picture is Jesus scoops them up. So babies are being brought to Jesus, and the disciples do something rather strange. They rebuke them for doing that. And I say it's rather strange because if you think back to the very first miracle recorded in the book of Mark, uh, you're told here that at sunset, the people in the town of Capernaum kept bringing to him everyone who was ill and demon-possessed, and the whole city gathered, and he healed many who were ill of various diseases. Now, what's missing from that picture? What's missing from that picture is the testimony of the disciples rebuking, preventing, and intercepting, and cutting people off. Not unusual in the Gospels to see people running up to Christ and Christ putting his hands on them and them coming for blessings. So you'd say, why in the world then are these disciples cutting the children off from Christ? And the answer is because of the attitude that people had about children. Now, this is hard for us to understand because in our culture, we worship children. We call ourselves the youth culture. And that's new, because it wasn't that way when I was a kid. I could ask some of the people older than me in the room. It wasn't that way then either, I don't think. But it is now. So we read about this, we're shocked by it. But in reality, let me just give you a couple of quotes from Judaism of the day. A child is without understanding. He acts like a fool. They're just only inclined to naughtiness. 
It's a waste of time for a scholar that is a rabbi to spend time with a child. Here's another one. Chatting with children is one of the things that destroys a man. That's negative, isn't it? That's negative. Here Jesus is a man, right? He is a scholar. He is rabbi. People call him this. And yet, the prevailing notion of the people in Judaism is children are insignificant. By the way, that's nothing compared to broader cultural ideas. In Greco-Roman culture, a child was somebody born into this world with no right to live. One of the most scandalous sins of antiquity is called exposure, where children were set out to die and be eaten by wolves. Here's a letter from 1 B.C. instructing a wife what to do with the child. This is the husband. If it's a male child, let it live. If a female, cast it out. That means kill it. Callous, cold, heartless. Just like our country with its great sin of abortion. Ugly, violent, murderous. You see, the prevailing cultural attitudes of the day said that children were not just expendable, they were worthless. They were at the edges of society, too insignificant to spend time on. And Jesus responds to that here. Jesus responds to that. He has two commands here in verse 14. I already told you the first one, which is uh, don't prevent, don't hinder them. Now you see the positive side of it when he makes it emphatically and positively clear. Permit them to come to me. Permit them. And it's a, it's a powerful command. It's a present tense command. It means this is the obligation. Permit them to come. And notice the outcome in verse 16. He took them in his arms and he began blessing them and laying his hands upon them. This is symbolism, first of all, isn't it? It is symbolism. He took them up in his arms. It was a real act. The language suggests a hug, just like you do with a little baby. A warm hug where you enfold them in your arms and you lay them next to your chest. It is an expression of the deepest affection. And he laid hands on him and one scholar points out that, well, because the children were small enough, he could cradle them in one arm and lay his hand on the other. And they must have been that small. It'd be pretty hard to hold the big heavy kid in your hand with one arm and put the other on, okay? So this picture here is just absolutely beautiful. And then we'll remember that, again, going back to what I said at the outset, if you want to stoke faith, spend some time looking at Jesus. Because the thing that, uh, we're all captivated by is just how engaging Christ is. And whenever you tend to see him in the Gospels, you see crowds of people around him. You see him being a, a person. You, you see people coming up to him. You see him laying hands upon people. One of the most powerful, powerful and, and dramatic and moving moments uh, is recorded in Mark 141 when he encounters a leper. A man with leprosy, we're told, ran right up to him and he bowed his knees before him and he begged Jesus Christ for healing. And you know what the text says? Jesus laid his hands on 
Now, remember that no one had ever been cured of leprosy in whole of human history before this. Remember that the leper was the outcast of society. His family could be around him. He lived a life of exclusion. He was secluded. No one came into his world. And yet here Jesus, as he hears this man's please, puts his hands upon him and he touches him and he heals him. And we see this again and again and again, that Jesus reaches out to the insignificant, to the expendable, to the outcast, and he receives them with such warmth and with compassion. And I press this picture on us here this morning because of its consistency with the broader narrative about Jesus Christ. One of my favorite prophetic quotes about Christ that comes from Isaiah 42. Uh, it is used in the book of Matthew to, to unveil who Christ is. And, and here's what it says about him. A reed he will not break and a smoking flax he won't quench. Think of that. The Word of God tells us, prophesied before He ever come, illustrated in history by Christ's own action, is that this Savior is a Savior of outcasts. He's a Savior of the bruised. He's a Savior of the battered. He's a Savior of the broken. He's a Savior of the expendable. He's a Savior of those who everybody else around basically marginalized and cast off and sent away and told them they were so little value that no one need care about them. That's this Christ. This is Jesus. And the confidence that we have this morning that we're under his watchful eye and protection is this picture here. Of how he, he protects even the least. And he rebukes those who would prevent. And he calls them to come into his presence. And he lays hands upon them to communicate blessing. He intervenes for his people. This is the hope of the believer. This isn't about children per se. This is the hope of the believer. That Jesus Christ exercises his watch care over his people and over his church. Your life is not too insignificant. It's not too expendable. Christ's eye is upon you. He loves you. He cares for you. Now notice the, the action. We've seen the symbolism of the scooping up and the embrace and the, and the laying on of hands. But, but now notice he blesses them. And this is the heart of the action. The, the rest of it is symbolism. It signifies something but what we believe, and this is consistent with the whole testimony of the Word of God, that the way Christ communicates His grace is through His Word. And so as He scoops them up and, and He holds them, He speaks words of blessing. He invokes heavens on these children that they may be blessed and strengthened and protected and showered with spiritual mercy. Jesus says it right here. Children of believers must be brought to him for spiritual blessing. And you say, why? And the answer is uh, because uh, 
It's in our text. <laughs> Think of the children. Who are these children? The window into that is, uh, is an objective pronoun in your text, and it kind of might have just snuck right by you. They rebuke them. Well, we get into grammar usually at some point in our sermons because we have to. But uh, Greek is a language that has um, gender. The pronoun here is not neutral. It's masculine. Them. Ask yourself a question in Judaism. Who would the them be? Who would the, the men be who were bringing babies to Jesus? And the obvious answer is that these were the covenant heads of house. These were the very people who their own children for circumcision by way of God's command here. These are the fathers. These are the fathers bringing their children, their babies to Jesus. And I want you to know it is intentional as you see it in verse 13. They were bringing the children to him so that he might touch them. So that he might touch them. Because they discerned that the touching signified the imparting of grace. You know, uh, the timing of this is a little bit relevant. The timing of this event is the last three months of Christ's life on earth and his public ministry. It's that season of life where he was ministering, we're told, beyond the Jordan because his fame had spread so far abroad that he couldn't minister publicly anymore. So think of where he's at. He's out in the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness, and these fathers have taken the time now to seek him out. This is all very intentional here. They've taken their time to seek him out and to find him that they may do something for their children that Christ has done for them. Which is bless them. Shower upon him his grace. It's all confirmed by what Jesus says here in verse 14. Permit the children to come to me and don't hinder them for, and here's your reason, The kingdom of God belongs to them. See that? Why are they bringing them? Because God said to. Children who are born to believers are a part of the covenant. They are a part of the kingdom. They are a part of the church. The promises of God are to them. That's why Jesus was so mad. That's why Jesus was so upset with his disciples. And that's why he left behind such a clear and emphatic statement and picture of his grace and the promises of grace for the children of believers. It's so that the church would be taught. He would understand. The children are permitted to come to him, not to be prevented. As we think about that for our application this morning, I remind us, of the special privilege of the children of believers. The special privilege of the children of believers. They belong to Christ. They are part of his church. They are members of his kingdom, and therefore they are to be baptized to signify and seal their participation in grace. The Heidelberg Catechism says this so beautifully. 
in question 74. And it says the children of believers belong to the covenant and the people of God as well as their parents. Therefore, by baptism, they are to be engrafted into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of believers. The special privilege of believing children is that the promises of God are for them. This blessing which Jesus invoked upon these children is the same for ours. Throughout the history of the church, in the past and now and into the future, it's unchanging. God claims the children of believers for his own and he covenants with them. But because there are special privileges for the children of believers, there are special duties for believing parents. There's special duties for believing parents. And Sabrina, I'm going to address you here very specifically, but with an eye to the rest of the parents here and to the rest of the church. The special privileges which belong to your children lay special duties upon you. Special duties for you. And you're going to take two vows in a moment, and here's what they are. At least two, and I want you to hear very carefully. Do you promise the teacher of her sinful nature, of the plan of salvation which centers in Christ, and of her own personal need with, for a relationship with Christ. And the second vow is this, to the end that she may grow in the Christian life, do you promise to pray for her, to train her to read the Bible, to pray, to keep the Lord's day, and to understand the nature of the church, the value of its worship and fellowship, and the need to seek communicant membership in the church? This means you're to treat baby girl in a gospel-centered way. And a gospel-centered way means that as lovely and wonderful as she is, she's a sinner. She is a sinner, and she needs to know about sin, its consequences, God's judgment upon it, and that the way to salvation is Jesus Christ. The way to salvation is Jesus Christ. And so part of the teaching that you'll be doing in your house is, well, take her stories like this about Jesus, that he's Savior. You've got to commit to that. The waters won't matter if you don't do that. There must be instruction about that, instruction about the Christian life. And so you'll be praying with and for her. And when you're holding her on a lap, you're going to be whispering the Bible verses into her ear. The whole family will be. <laughs> I know that. But you will be too. Teaching about the Christian life, the duty of worship, the authority of God's word. The joy of being a part of the church. People of God, this is what we do for all of our children. We train them in this house of the church. In the things of the Lord. Because there's a great promise attached to it. If we go back to the Old Testament, the Lord said of Abraham, I will bring these things I have promised upon him because... He is faithful to teach them the way of the Lord. There's a great hope here. There's a great confidence we have to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He'll be faithful. So we know that Jesus teaches about the special privileges and blessings of the children of believers, but Jesus here teaches about salvation. I'll just cover this quickly because we're all about ready to melt. It's hot, I know. But we can't walk away from our text without discerning that there is an implication in this text for, for everyone. And, and that is uh, bound up in, in, 
in what Jesus does now in verse 15, he, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it at all. What is fascinating to us is in the midst of this dust up, Jesus says, stop. And he uses the word amen, which means truly. So this is an emphatic statement of the truth. And he says, I say to you, which means he's talking to everyone who's around him, the disciples, the onlookers, the fathers, everyone who's there. And he says, I have a message to bring to you, which this action illustrates. And that message is this, spiritual mercies are for children. Entering the kingdom of God here in our text is about salvation. Some may be wondering, well, how in the world did we get to salvation? Well, the answer is very clear. Jesus and Scripture draw an equation between entering the kingdom of God and receiving saving mercy. The clearest text I can think of right now to go to is Matthew 19, 24, where Jesus says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We love this saying because of its absurdity. There's no way a camel can go through the eye of the needle. For some of us who are losing our sight, we can't even see the eye of the needle, the thread. How could a giant camel with huge humps on its back go through the eye of the needle? It gets the point done, though, doesn't it? It's easier for a camel to go into the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. And you know his disciples said right after that in verse 25? They said, who then can be saved? You see, they've discerned that entering the kingdom means salvation. Entering the kingdom is about salvation. So when Jesus here in our text says in verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, it will not enter it at all. He is talking about salvation. And second of all, he's talking about grace alone. You say, well, where in the world do you get that? I say it's in the text. The answer is like a child. Like a child. There's a wrong way and a right way to interpret that. And the wrong way is this. Sometimes you'll encounter commentators who will say, well, Jesus tells us the key to eternal life. Just become like a child. And they write down a list of things about children that make them so endearing. They're simple. They're trustworthy. They, uh, they are assuming and humble and unquestioning. They receive what's offered. Well, that would mean I have to do something to get saved. I'd have to shed the skin of my adultness with my skepticism and years of scars and doubts and questions. That's not, the, that's not the answer. The answer to this is like a child is based upon exactly what people thought about children. They were unworthy of anything unless it was given to them. Remember what I read to you. 
the father had absolute right over the child to let it live or die. This is the language. This is the idea that Jesus is, is working with. And he says, you must enter the kingdom and receive it like a child. You must receive it as a gift. The only way to come into eternal life, the only way to come into the kingdom, the only way to be saved, the only way to have the forgiveness of sins is you simply receive it by the sovereign grace of God. It's not something to be grasped at. It's not something earned. It's what's given. And of course, this is summarized so well by the Apostle Paul in so many different ways in so many different texts. But how about the one you learned on your mama's knee? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace. The way the kingdom is entered and the way the kingdom is received is by becoming like a child. Weak, helpless, needy and receiving as a gift. Jesus wanted to teach a lesson right alongside the lesson that the children of believers are important to him. He wanted to leave a lesson for the believer and for everyone else. There's a way to enter the kingdom and to have it. And it's only by a gift from heaven, from God. If someone's hearing the message and they've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, there's a, there's a very simple way for you to, to have this kingdom and this faith and this salvation. It's the road straight to Christ and receive the kingdom and salvation as a gift. There's nothing else set up. There's no obstacles in the way. There's nothing else to do. It's to receive it as a gift. And if you have this gift this morning, and if you've come to Jesus Christ and, and you have run to him with all of your bruises and with all of your brokenness, the assurance you have this morning that you've been truly saved is because Jesus says it right here. It's come to you as a gift. It's not suspended upon who you are and your character and your things you've done. It's because God's mercy was given to you. That reminds us this morning something we always have to bring ourselves back to as believers. It's called gratitude. One reason why we don't do better in the Christian life is because we forget God's mercy. We forget God's grace. And we uh, become riddled and consumed with the trivial and irrelevant questions of life. So much so that we lose gospel joy. And we lose gospel joy, we lose an attitude of worship and trust and confidence and hope. Because we've let so many other things that are not important consume us. So the message here, people of God, about little children being brought to Jesus Christ is as relevant then as uh, now as it is then. That, that for you this morning, for the believer, there's something to lay hold of. And it's the wonderful message of grace. God's given you what you didn't earn. And he's poured it out upon you as a gift. 
The saying that's so often repeated is true. There but the grace of God I go. If it weren't for the mercy of the Lord. Well, that rings very true in our ears this morning as Jesus reminds us the basis of our hope. It's grace and gift. And so this morning, uh, we thank the Lord that um, spiritual mercies are for children. Father Almighty, uh, we thank you for the declaration of gospel hope. Keep it ringing in our ears. Deliver us from the lie and the infatuation of works. Father, remind us this morning that all that we have is by your grace. And how gracious and wonderful is that grace. Because it not only overflows to us, but even to our children, children's children, because of your promise, because of your determination to include them in the spiritual family of heaven. And so we pray that you would seal this message upon our hearts. Would you, uh, for those who are hearing it again about uh, your promises to their children, be um, reinforced in the resolve and commitment to, to, to train them up in the Lord. For those who are hearing it for the first time, uh, would you um, would you help them to hang on to the joy, the thrill of it, that you are a God who is merciful, even to the children of believers. And for all of us, as we hear the great message of the kingdom given as a gift, would you cause us, Lord, to have an enlarged heart that we may savor your mercies to us that were totally undeserved. And so would you take your word this morning now and seal it upon our hearts by the power of of your spirit, spiritual mercies are for children. Hear us for Jesus' sake.